Father God, we thank you for this day, once again, for your many blessings. Lord, your word is holy, and we love it. Let it be the desire of our heart, Lord. Let it be sweet on our lips like honey, that your law is precious and that we, we just crave it and, and we are satisfied by the sweetness of it. Lord, I pray that you wash us with it this morning, humble us up underneath it, let us see truth within it. Bless me now, your willing servant. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. If you have your Bibles, like I said, we're going to start in Genesis 1. And uh, while you're turning there, I'd like to ask you to do something. And th this is not something that we normally do, but I'd, I'd like for us to start doing it. Um, and that is, I'd, I'd like for you to stand for the reading of the Word. Um, I don't know if I've ever asked you to do that. It's not been a part of our tradition, um, but uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's just that uh, there's no place in Scripture that says that you have to stand when the word is being read aloud. But that being said, when I preached two weeks ago at that church in, in Bagwell, there were some that were surprised that I didn't ask them to stand whenever we, we read the word. And that, that got me to thinking about it. And, you know, I, I do believe that it does show reverence for God's holy word. It is a tradition in many churches across the nation to do that and around the world. And I, the, the more I thought about it, the more I felt like, well, you know, I believe that the, the public proclamation of the Word of God ought to at least get as much reverence as the National Anthem and the Pledge of Allegiance. So, if you are able uh, and willing, would you please stand while we read God's Word. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And then Genesis 1.31, and God saw everything He had made. And behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now we go to Romans. It's be up behind you if you have problems finding it. Uh, behind me, excuse me. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. And then jump with me to Revelation chapter 21, the very end of your Bible. John is writing and he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. 
And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of, from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. The word of God. Amen. You may be seated. And thank you for indulging me in that. If you recall... We were working through our series on the blessed hope, heaven, uh, what comes next after we pass from this life in, into the next, or as Jesus said it, when we pass from death into life. If you notice from our reading this morning in Genesis, when God was done with creation, He said, it is very good. He did all the work of creation, He put man on the earth, He said, it is very good. In fact, he, had, he established it was good at every step of creation. He looked upon the earth and said it was good. He looked upon the trees and said it was good. He looked upon, I mean, he, it was good every step of the way. And then finally, the day before he rested on the sixth day, he rested on the seventh, on the sixth day when he was done, he said, it is very good. Now, very good indicates that there were no problems with what God had made. There was nothing wrong with it. It was good, and for God to say it is very good, that means it was pleasing in His sight. That means it, he, he was pleased with it. God was so pleased with it that he, he would come down in the cool of the evening and walk with Adam and Eve and, and enjoy what He had made. It was that good. God was, in, God was in love with what He made. It was good to Him. It pleased Him. And we know... We know that God cannot tolerate wickedness. Habakkuk 1.13 says, Thou art purer of eyes than to behold evil, and you cannot look upon iniquity. So when God said it was very good, He meant it. He meant it was without evil, without corruption, without, without any kind of thing that would cause it to decay, pure and pristine. It was good in the most glorious and, and the purest sense, holy and completely good. And when you consider what has happened, that is utterly shocking. Adam and Eve, you know the story, tempted by the serpent, by Satan. They fell into the sin of idolatry, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. They put something before God in their affections. And just for a little while, just for a little bit, they worshipped the idea of being godlike over the God who actually came and walked with them, the reality of the God who, who created everything for them and put everything in, in their dominion. They loved the lie that the serpent had told them more than they loved the truth that God had given them. And as soon as they decided that that fruit on that tree was sweeter than the Word of God, 
They reached for it with longing, looking for a fuller satisfaction, a greater joy, a a deeper pleasure than what they had in God, than the fullness of pleasure and the fullness of joy that was already in God. They believed the lie, and that's when it all changed. Everything changed. Even if only for a moment they abandoned their affections for God and they thrust their heart and their love towards another, and now, all of a sudden, it is not good. The last time we visited this subject was three weeks ago, and that's, that's where we were. We were on a pretty minor chord, musically speaking, talking about the curse that was given in the garden to Adam and Eve when they sinned, and the extent of this curse. And, and we looked at the language in Genesis 3 where, where God cursed them for their disobedience. And there were several elements to that curse. And there are things that we are still dealing with today. Every part of that curse still rests upon us even today. But you know, it wasn't just Adam and Eve that fell that day. It wasn't just Adam and Eve that were cursed that day. Genesis 3.17, the scripture tells us that God cursed the ground for Adam's sake. The ground is cursed for thy sake, Adam. All creation cursed because of you. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let them have dominion. That's the same language that God used in creation. Let it be, and it was. Let it be, and it was. Let it be, and it was. And here he said, let them have dominion. And you know what? They had dominion. God declared it, and it was. Dominion over the works of God's hand. Psalm 8, verse 4 says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visited him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Verse 6, Thou made him to have dominion. Over the works of thy hands, thou hast put all things under his feet. Thou madest him to have dominion. You created man for this purpose. You made him for dominion. You you worked it for this purpose, to have dominion over all the works of your hands. He, He put it under our authority, the whole of creation. That's a huge charge. The massive responsibility, everything under our feet. All creation, do you see this? All creation rises and falls with the souls of man. That's a pretty big deal. That's how God made it. That's how God purposed it. When man fell, everything was touched by that fall. Everything came under the curse. You know, everything dies. Everything. Everything decays. Look at the, I mean, we have structures that are still standing from antiquity, but they're, they're eroded. You can see the sand has beaten them and the time has taken its toll on them. Everything decays. Even the stars in the sky, the, the most eternal things in all of the known universe, whose lifespan is known to be billions upon billions of years long. If God were to just let it sit, And and give it long enough, even the stars would burn out and the universe would grow cold. Everything decays. Everything dies. The whole universe, it all fell with Adam and Eve. You're cursed, Adam. And all creation is cursed with you because you loved another more than you loved me. You gave all of your affection to another. You sought to have your soul satisfied by another. And all creation will fall with you. That begs the question, where do we get our satisfaction? 
Whose approval are we seeking? In worship, whose approval are we seeking? In ministry, whose approval are we seeking? The conference I was at this past weekend, one of the, the speakers, he said that the sin of idolatry for ministers is a great place to hide. What does that mean? That means that it's, a, it's an easy sin for our ministers to fall into because we, eyes are on us. And, and we, we get looked at a lot. And it's, it's easy to think, I want that. I want that worship. So when we, I mean, all of you that serve up here, who, who, are, you, who are you worshiping? Is it about you? For those of us who serve in, in, in the world, when we, when we go to help others, do we do it wanting recognition? And if so, we've got our reward. Jesus said, if you, if you do it seeking the recognition of men, you've got your reward. That's it. There's no more for you. And this is what happened in the Garden of Eden. This is a big deal. When you seek satisfaction from another, from someone outside of God, when you, when you seek to have your soul lifted from a source other than Christ, you don't have your satisfaction in Him. He is not the fullness of joy for you. You have sought satisfaction in another, and you have turned your heart against Him. And guess what? You fall. And all creation is condemned with you. Look at what Paul says in Romans 8. Verse 19, Romans 8, 19. Paul says, for the earnest expectation of the creature. Now, in order to understand the full reach of this text, what Paul is getting at here, we've got to understand that Paul, what he means by the word creature. Now, in this text, creature is the created thing. Whatever is created, which is all things. So Paul is talking about all creation here when he says creature, the whole universe, all of it. The Greek word is katesis. It means universe. It's understood as an object that God brought into existence. All of creation brought into existence. That's what Paul means when he says the creature, the creation. So the, the earnest expectation of the whole universe, all of creation, waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. All of creation is groaning and travailing. This is some remarkable things. To think about and some remarkable things about the effect of man's curse on all of creation. I want to look briefly at, at four things that, that are just, they're sitting right on the top of this text. And just for the lack of time, I don't have time to go real deep with it. I'm just going to skim the top of it, but, but that'll give you an idea of where you can go in your personal study. Four things. Number one, creation is in pain. I find it often beneficial when, when studying what Paul has written to go to tack it backwards. He does, he, think, he, he builds these things, and it's often beneficial for understanding to go in reverse orders. That's what we're going to do. So verse 21, creation is in pain. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth together, travaileth in pain together until now. All of creation is groaning and travailing. That's, that's hard language. That's hard work. That's pain. It's bad news. That's the minor chord. But there's good news here, too. This groaning and travailing in pain isn't just a sorrowful beating down or suffering. 
It's the pain of, of expectation, the groaning of anticipation. And it's, it's the hope there. There's, there's, there's hope in it and the future that is promised. It, it is ready to be birthed. It's here, but not fully here. It's like a woman who is pregnant. That's why he uses this language. In fact, other translations say the, the groaning and travailing and the pains of childbirth. It's here, but it's not yet here. If you remember, the pain in childbirth was part of the curse. Do you all remember that from three weeks ago? That was part of the curse when God cursed Adam and Eve. You're going to have pain in bearing children. That's part of the, the curse. But also in bearing children comes the promise. He promised in Genesis 3 that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. So you're going to have pain in childbirth, but in childbirth you will have your redemption. And so we look at creation as looking at there is pain, in birth, but there is a, there's a redemption coming. It's all ready, but, but it's not yet. So there's, there's this now and not yet groaning that the universe, all of creation, has been subjected to. An unsatisfied hunger, an unquenched thirst for a restoration that has been promised and a, a restoration that has been secured, but one that has not yet come. Not, not fully. Already and not yet. Number two. Creation is in bondage. It's important language, verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. If creation must be delivered from bondage, look at the language, bondage. It's, it's enslaved. All of creation is enslaved. It is, it is trapped in corruption all of creation ensnared in this, this trap of corruption. You don't, you don't ensnare yourself. You, you don't fall into, into a bondage on purpose. It, it was done to creation. This happened because of something outside of, of its own will. It's a stark difference from what God said in Genesis 1 when God said it is very good. Creation is enslaved to corruption. That's not very good. Clearly something has happened to corrupt and to twist what God has said was good into something that needs deliverance. Deliverance into what? Into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Which means that creation has fallen out. It was once into in the glorious liberty. It has fallen out of the glorious liberty of the children of God. Into bondage. Just, I mean, think about, all, think about nature, all right? Now, it's beautiful, and there are some wonderful things about nature, and that, that, is, that is a, we'll get to that later. But, but there are things in nature that are horrible, horrible. I mean, there, you know, decay and death, animals who have no, who are starved to death. That happens all the time. Animals feeding on the flesh of other animals. You know, that was never in the created order. That was never supposed to be that way. The, the idea, the concept of, of an animal, or even man for that matter, feeding on the flesh of another animal did not happen until after the fall. God said, I have given you every fruit of the tree and every herb-bearing herb seed, the grass of the field, those are your food. Everything was vegetarian in the garden. Did you know that? Did you know that? <laughs> We're all vegetarians. And as much as that pains me, because I love fajitas, that was never the created order. It was never the way it was intended to be. We were never intended to feast off of another being. That only happened after the fall. Think about creation itself. 
is in bondage to corruption. Creation itself. All creation. Number three, creation in this bondage is still innocent. Look at what verse 20 says. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly. It wasn't like what man did when man willingly turned and man willingly said, I want the apple more than I want my God. It wasn't like that. Creation was subject to what man did, not willingly. This wasn't something that the world signed up for. The earth didn't sin against God. The universe didn't sin against God. The heavens and the earth were very good. It was, it was man that sinned. And when man sinned, everything fell. You, you remember God put everything under the dominion of man. And as the head goes, so goes the rest of the beast. That's how you drive a horse. Steer a horse, what do you call it? I don't Steer, drive? That's how you move a horse <laughs> with the reins. Where you, when, you, when, when you pull this head one way, the horse follows. When the head goes the other way, the horse follows. That, that's how, where the head goes, the beast follows. Right? And as the head went, so the rest of creation went. God put everything under our headship. Man was given headship over all the works of God, over all the created world. And when we sin, it brought condemnation on all things in our dominion, which is everything, all creation. That's what this word says. Look at what Paul says is the reason, though. Creation was made subject to vanity. That's futility. That means here today, gone tomorrow. There's nothing, no substance to it. There's no worth to it. It was made subject to worthlessness in hope. Do you see that? In hope. This is not a wish and a dream. This is a promised outcome. A predetermined future. This is a, a sure hope, a solid hope, a promise for redemption, restoration, recreation of all creation being remade to be very good. Remade into the way it was supposed to be in the beginning. Very good. Number four, the redemption of creation is totally dependent upon the redemption of man. As your resurrection goes, so goes the resurrection of the universe, of all of creation. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. The creation is waiting for us. What does this mean? It, it means that all creation is waiting for our, mine and yours, mankind's redemption. Because the redemption of the created universe is tied up with and subject to the redemption of the sons of God. Remember, we have been given dominion. This kingdom won't stand. This world will not rise until man has been redeemed. Just as the fall of man precipitated the fall of creation, so the redemption and resurrection of man precipitates the redemption and resurrection of the rest of creation. Remember Revelation 21, we read it just a few minutes ago. The Lord said, Behold, I make all things new. I make all things, all things that were made, everything I made, I'm going to make it new. They are recreated, renewed, made whole and complete and perfect, made to be, back to the beginning state, very good. Creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. So what does that look like? Well, we've got to keep reading. Let's look at the whole passage, Romans 8, 14. Paul says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, 
they are the sons of God. Now here we're going to get into that already and not yet uh, ideology, which, which, watch the language here, already but not yet. They are the sons of God. That's already. As many years are led by God, they are the sons of God already. Verse 15, for you have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We have received. That's already. What do we receive? The spirit of adoption. Now, I don't know what your Bible looks like, but in my Bible, that word spirit here is capitalized. Just like in the beginning where he said, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, that's capitalized. That means it's a proper noun, a proper name. We have received this Spirit. And this Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit, God Himself. We have received adoption in there. And this is how we can call Him Father. Already, now, we have received this Spirit of adoption. So we can call Him Daddy, Father. Now, already. Verse 16, it gets deeper. The Spirit itself, again, God Himself, bears witness with our spirit. He stands beside us. He bears witness with us. God Himself stands beside us and testifies that we are His children. God Himself is standing next to me and puts His hand on my shoulder and He says, that's my boy. Stands next to you and puts His hand on you. That's my boy. That's my girl. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and we heard the voice from heaven, the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in, in whom I am well pleased? God Himself testified with Jesus and the Spirit that Jesus was His Son. That's what's going on here in Paul's mind. God Himself, the Spirit, testifies within us that we are His children now, already, His children Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him. This is the already, this is the now. We are heirs with Christ. We are called to suffer with Him. That, so that, in order that, we may also be glorified together. That's the not yet. We suffer for a future glory. We are heirs to a future glory. Already, but not, not yet. All creation is fallen. We, we await our glorification in Christ. We wait that. How do we know this? Look what he says in 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, that's the, the already part, the current state, the fallen creation, all creation groans, all creation's in pain, all creation travails, even we ourselves travail and groan and, and, and in pain and waiting, anticipating and, and eagerly longing for the redemption that is, that is this state Jesus said, after you've suffered with me for a little while, it is, it is in this life you will have trials. This is how, this is now, this is the now, the already. Paul says, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's the not yet. This glory is not yet revealed in us. We await it. We are adopted, are now adopted, we are heirs, we do suffer with Him already so that we can be glorified with Him later. Look at where this glory is revealed though, it is revealed, the glory that all creation is longing for, the, the, all creation is waiting for and travailing and painting for it and awaits eagerly for the manifestation of the sons of God. Where is this glory revealed? What does Paul say? In us. In us, what does it look like? Skip down to verse 22. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but we ourselves also. We groan and travail in pain for redemption and, and resurrection. All creation groans in pain with us. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, capital S, God. We've got the first fruits of God. We, that's already, we have the first fruits. We are heirs, we are sons, we are free from bondage to sin and death. Already and not yet. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting, there's the not yet, for the adoption. Now wait, Paul just said we are adopted. We've been given the spirit of adoption, yet we're waiting for the adoption. Wait a minute, we just read, we, we, we already have the spirit, but yet, yet we're waiting for the adoption. So what does this mean? What, what does this mean, that we wait for the adoption? Church, this is the already and not yet nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom is here, but is not yet fully here. We are adopted as sons and daughters in Christ, but we are not yet fully realized that. We have not yet fully seen it because, as Paul said, we, we're looking at it through a glass darkly. We haven't seen him face to face yet. Paul says we wait for the adoption, the, the fullness of our adoption, the complete consummation of our adoption. That is, to wit, that's what to wit means. That is the redemption of our body. That's, that's the completion of our adoption. That's what creation is waiting for. The redemption of man in our bodies when we are resurrected again. Let me close with this. When, when I was a kid... I had a really hard time getting excited about heaven. And I, I imagined that heaven meant uh, I had to leave this exciting and beautiful world where I had all kinds of fun, and I had to go to some boring, bodiless mansion in the clouds somewhere. And that was largely my fault because I didn't have enough love for Jesus to want to be with him at any cost. But it would have helped me if I had known better what the Bible says about the resurrection. It would have helped me. So let me try to let you all know what you should expect. Church, it is not God's plan for you to have your soul floating around without your body in some ghostly mansion in the sky. God's plans, I know the plans I have for you, the plans of peace and not, not evil, to give you an expected end. God's expected end for you is to raise your body from the dead and make it new. Behold, I make all things new. You will have a healthy and beautiful and strong and very physical body. God's plan is not to take you away from, from the earth to spend eternity in heaven. And that, that might come as a shock to some of you to say it like that, but it's what the Bible teaches. Hear me when I say the Bible doesn't teach that we all go to heaven to be with God. The Bible teaches that God makes heaven here. He comes to be with us. God makes a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old had passed away. And God will bring His holy city, the new Jerusalem, and establish it here on earth, the new, recreated, renewed, resurrected earth. And He will dwell with us and be our God. And we will be happy and full of joy and fulfillment Forever, Our old bodies will be made brand new in the resurrection. And our old earth will be made brand new in the resurrection. 
Because of this, I can say with great assurance and, and great confidence, church, that if your trust is in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you follow Him as your Lord, there is nothing that is good and happy in your life on this earth that will ever be lost. Whatever is bad will be taken away, but all the good, all the happy will be kept in, a new, in the new earth forever. Forever. We will all have the best bodies healthiest bodies, strongest bodies imaginable. And they will be playing and climbing and swimming and running and jumping and, and swinging and singing and skiing and roller skating and, and skateboarding and biking and hiking and bouncing and tumbling and all of that. Hopping and jumping, whatever you do when you're very, very happy. So whatever you think about the future, about what you'll be doing forever and ever after Jesus comes back. Think about those things. But just remember this. The reason these things are going to be made, and the reason these things are going to make you really happy, and the reason that you will never be sad again is that in all of your playing, in all of your climbing and jumping and tumbling and, and hopping and exploring and, ex and, and, and discovering and, and all the things you're going to be using your bodies to do will be to glorify and obey God and to praise His great and wonderful name. And God will be at the same